0: Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Accidental Tomatoes podcast. I'm your host, Joe Webb, and this is a podcast for spiritual exiles, for all of us who are looking for faith and spirituality beyond the fences and the walls of institutional Christianity. We've got a really interesting interview for this episode, but first, I'd like to just quickly remind you that you can find all of the content that our team is creating for our community on our website, accidentaltomatoes.com. You can go there to find every episode of the podcast as well as blog entries on a wide variety of topics related to religious deconstruction, social justice, and liberation theology. And if you're inspired by our work and would like to support us, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Tomatoes to learn how you can help us create and curate content that's helping people navigate the difficulties of spiritual trauma, deconstruction, and trying to build a more just, inclusive world. Accidental Tomatoes is the official content site for New Wineskins, a fully inclusive, non-traditional online faith community rooted in deep, authentic conversation. New Wineskins is a member of the Reconciling Ministries Network and is open to anyone seeking to explore faith and spirituality on a deeper level than many can experience in the institutional church. If you're looking for a community where you can express your deepest doubts, ask your hardest questions, and be welcomed unconditionally, Feel free to visit one of our weekly Zoom gatherings. You can learn more by visiting newwineskinsnetwork.org. So for this episode, um, Jenny Williams, who has been a previous guest and is part of our content team, is my co-host, and our guest today is Dr. Megan Gandy, Professor of Social Work at West Virginia University. Megan has done some really fascinating research on LGBTQ people and faith communities and joins us for this special Pride Month episode of the podcast. So please give a warm Accidental Tomatoes welcome to Dr. Megan Gandy.
1: Number one, you're not alone. Um, and number two, there are places that you can find that do give you that kind of community and that you can, it takes some ser- searching, but if it's something that's important to you, then it's worth searching for and you can find it.
0: Well, hi there, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Accidental Tomatoes podcast. We've got a really, really, really interesting uh, guest and a fa- fascinating topic to, to talk about today. But before we get to that... Um, the one and only Jenny Williams is in the co-host chair for this episode. Hey, Jenny. hey! hey. Yeah, welcome. Glad to have glad to have you with Thank us. Thank you.
2: It's so good to be here with you, Joe.
0: <laughs> so, a lot of you, uh, if you're a regular listener to the podcast, uh, Jenny has been a guest um, two or three times at least. I think we did a two-part episode with you um, way back early pandemic days. Um, and then, you know, you're, of course, you're part of the uh, content team here at Accidental Tomatoes, uh, but it's really good to have you co hosting an episode with us finally. So, welcome.
2: Thank you. Yeah, I'm really stoked to be here, Joe. I, your guests are always so interesting, and I'm excited to get to talk with Megan today.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, speaking of interesting guests, um, Megan Gandy is with us today. Megan is uh, a professor of sociology, is that right? At West Virginia so- University. Uh, social work. Social work, yes. Thank you. Yeah, I always have to. That's why I say, was that right? Because <laughs> I almost never am right. So, but so welcome to the podcast, Megan. We're really glad to have you. Why don't you tell the folks uh, a little bit about yourself? Sure.
1: Yeah, uh, my name's uh, Dr. Megan Gandy. I'm an associate professor in the School of Social Work at West Virginia University. Um, I am a social worker by training. Um, I also am a community activist. I've done activist work in North Carolina, Oklahoma, Virginia, and now West Virginia. Um, I'm a member of the LGBTQ plus community and a formal, former uh, evangelical fundamentalist Christian.
0: That there's a lot to unpack.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. So
0: <laughs> we well, yeah, the what we're rest here of
3: the
1: for. podcast to talk about all of that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's, I was going to say, that's kind of what we're here for. That's kind of what we're here for. Um, so, uh, you know, um, you did some research here a, a while back and uh, there was an article published a, about a year ago. I think it was July um, of 2021 i came across this article that you had written um and immediately made a note you know have megan on the podcast right um because it's it's some really fascinating research um about um lgbtq plus people and faith communities and i'm not going to try to butcher your research i'm gonna <laughs> let you talk about it but um can you tell us a little bit about that research project, what got you started, uh, and maybe what some of the things you discovered were from that.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so the research itself, like you said, was focused on LGBTQ plus people and faith communities. And the reason why I chose the word faith communities is because I wanted to capture what it is about a group of people that LGBTQ people want to be a part of that centers faith. And so it could be a church, it could be a congregation, but it could be something else entirely. Um, And so I didn't want to define that for the participants, but essentially I, I knew from my own lived experience that LGBTQ plus people go to faith communities for healing and they go for connectedness and they go for belonging and they go for resources and connection with other community members. And I didn't see that represented in the research. And I also didn't always see that really represented in media either. Because as we all here know, there's plenty of research and lots of conversation about the harms done by faith communities towards LGBTQ yeah, plus yeah. people people. Um, and so really what I wanted to do was kind of highlight what are the things that LGBTQ plus people get out of going to or being in a faith community. And so that's kind of where the impetus was uh, to start it. Um, and so the data was collected back in 2016. Uh, we went to the annual conference of what was then called the Gay Christian Network. Now it's called the Queer Christian Fellowship. Uh, But they have an annual conference, and we just went and gathered volunteers, anybody that would be willing to kind of be in our pool of participants. And through that group, we found 30 individuals that had various background diversities. So, you know, we didn't want to see only people from the coasts, and we didn't want to talk to people that only had a certain education level. We really wanted to kind of get at a variety of identities and um, different representations of people. Um, and so we we found a really nice diverse group and we just did phone interviews with them. We talked to them for about hour, hour and a half about why they chose their faith community, what drew them to attend and um, kind of what keeps them going. Um, and the results, you know, are, were were kind of surprising because um, I, you know, I kind of, like I said, I went into it expecting there to be some kind of positive focus, but that ended up being kind of a both and. Mm. Um, So people would tell a story of, well, I got... Rejected by this one faith community, but then I found this other faith community, or, you know, I had this, this experience that was negative, but I also had this experience that was positive. And so it kind of morphed the conversation from just what do you get out of faith communities to uh, what is the, what is kind of the journey that you go on to choosing a faith community or choosing to be a part of a faith community?
2: Yeah, I read some of the um, little bit of your published findings and looked at that, those diversity numbers. It was pretty incredible. Um, I mean, in terms of socioeconomic status, educational status, um, um, queer identification, identity there, um, racial identification. I mean, it was pretty, pretty amazingly diverse group of folks that you talked to. That's really cool. Um, I'm, I'm kind of wondering and I think maybe the folks listening based on your introduction of yourself with all of those many things, um, if you could talk, share with us whatever you'd like to share about your own personal experience in this realm that kind of led to your interest in this research.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate that question because it it was a part of what led me to this research. So um, I say part of my introduction was that I'm a former evangelical fundamentalist Christian. Um, and so I grew up in um various iterations of non-denominational pentecon Pentecostal Southern Baptist basically anybody that said we are more Christian than you are mm-hmm. <laughs> that was the version of Christianity I grew up I'm at. the
0: most Christian of those <laughs> yeah, words, yeah and everybody else yeah.
1: is excluded right <laughs> right um and so I grew up in that and I also grew up in a church that said that being gay was one of the worst sins ever um and so it was very clear to me from the beginning that being gay was not a good thing um I also knew that I was gay from an early age around age six is when I can recollect the first memory of that and so I grew up um kind of with that tension of um I have these feelings and I have this thought about myself but it's bad and I want to be good and you know I was a girl I was a little kid that wanted to be a good girl and wanted to do the right things so I certainly wasn't like a rebellious kid Um, And so it just kind of threw me into like wanting to be the best Christian ever and wanting to be like so good that God wouldn't really um, say that I was wrong or bad by the time I get to the pearly gates. And of course, that kind of flies in the face of all the things that many denominations teach about, um, you know, grace or (laughs) freedom (laughs) from sin and all of that. Um, But, you know, I kind of found myself in this quandary of like, I can't rid myself of this sin. I cannot stop being gay. and i kind of you know i connected with paul and the thorn in the flesh and like all of these iterations of struggle you know struggle with same sex attraction is is the phrase that i used over yeah. and over um and so over time it just it 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 never went away and i slowly started to find my way into a new way of living um i started to attend church less and less and find myself more and more and i finally realized i need i need to be who i am and the church may or may not come along with me and so it it was uh, a moment in time when i was actually kicked out of the church um i was going i was going for a third so i was of course at the church anytime the doors were open Uh, i was a worship leader And so I was helping out on a Thursday night um, with doing some worship leading. I walk in and the here comes the leader of this particular group uh, saying, you know, Megan, is it true that you have a girlfriend? Uh. (laughs) I said, Uh. Yes, it is. It is true. Um, And she said, well, you can't, you can't lead worship. You can't be up on stage because that would be like having somebody who's an alcoholic who's drunk on stage. And I, I was expecting that, you know, I had said that to many people, you know, as the good Christian who was trying to get people to Mm. not be gay. (laughs) Um, and I just said, thanks, but no, thanks. I really don't want to be a part of that. And you clearly don't want me a part of your community. So I walked out the door. This is the community that I, I grew up in. I, you know, kind of, I was in this church since I was like 12 and this was now when I was like 22, um, and I, I walked out and I never walked back in that door ever again. Oh, man. Um, and so it was kind of it, it that action of choosing myself, um, but also being rejected. Um, yeah, did a lot. <laughs> you know, that was part of solidifying that religious trauma for me. Um, and so I kind of went into that whole like well, if God is going to send me to hell for being gay, then screw God, you know, and I went into like rejecting all religion and all spirituality. Um, But it it wasn't too long before I started to recognize a need in me to, uh, to address that, to address the hurt, to address the rejection, and also just to address the need to be connected with people in a way that honors our spirituality. And so I found a affirming church uh, that was close to me. Um, it was actually through the United Methodist Church. It was a branch of, um, it was like a mission church that was uh, an inclusive community, reconciling ministries. Mm-hmm. And I got to know the people. They're all very affirming. I got to lead worship there. Um, you know, I kind of got to re engage and reconnect with those parts of who I was as a Christian that I really enjoyed. Um, and it, in that experience, I, I felt so much healing. I felt like I belonged again and I Mm. felt like I got the things that were taken from me. Wow. Wow. And that I know is not a, a solo experience. You know, I, I know that many people have had that experience, but, um, I didn't see that really represented in the research and I didn't really see that represented in what therapists and clinical social workers were doing. Anytime I told somebody like, Oh yeah, I'm gay. And I'm a, you know, I go to this church and they're like, well, what, why would you do that?
0: (laughs) Yeah. it, It seems like such a contradiction, you know, in a lot of ways. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, you know, just carrying out my, the rest of my story is just that, now, you know, I, I kind of went through some iterations with various faith communities and just found that um, the God part and the Jesus part didn't really connect with me anymore. Um, but the people do. And really it was the people that I found to be the, the most important part of my experience um, after I healed from kind of the religious and spiritual parts. And so now I, I don't really consider myself any kind of religious or spirituality, not really atheist. Um, I like to call myself an apatheist.
0: <laughs> okay, I like that.
1: <laughs> I'm apathetic to the presence of God. It doesn't really matter. I'm not agnostic. I'm not questioning whether or not God exists. I just i am going to live my life regardless of whether or not there is a God or not.
0: <laughs> so what everything you were just saying, Megan, just sort of um, – kind of pointed to th- there was a a, a line a, a quote of yours in in the article that I read about your research um that talked about the the fear of rejection versus the joy of inclusion and i i think i heard a little bit of of that in the story you were just tell him, but how does that, like specifically within your research, mm-hmm. like how did that sort of, I guess, you know, phenomenon or whatever, how did that kind of manifest itself in the research?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. And um, speaking of that connection between my story and the research, I had to work really hard to bracket my own experience oh, yeah. because I didn't want this to be the Megan show. You know, I wanted this to be research, which represents, uh, you know, various, voices. and so i I had a lot of work to do um, and had co-authors that helped me kind of bracket my own experience. But it was kind of nice that it it lined up a lot with with my own experience in the end. Um, but, yeah, just the fear of rejection, um, you know, sometimes that came from actual experiences of rejection. but a lot of times it just came from like that knowledge that, like, Okay, this is what usually happens to LGBTQ people, or this is what usually happens to people like me, and so it kind of set people up to be on uh, on watch for signs that would say that a community was not affirming, um, or it would just keep them from going to a community altogether. Um, you know, like, oh, I know Southern Baptist doesn't accept people, so I'm not going to go to that, um, that kind of thing. But um, yeah, just this, this knowledge that, like, I want to, I want to withhold myself from a faith community because I know there's that rejection or that potential, um, and then that is contrasted with the theme of a joy of inclusion, um, and that, you know, really is kind of self-explanatory, but, um, basically when lgbtq plus people get to be fully themselves in faith communities it's awesome it's like the coolest thing ever we get to like be in worship or lead sunday school or be you know ministers um or just be you know congregants and and participants and um it's part of that part of one of these themes was the word normal and that was mm. something that really struck me. It was just like, people just wanted to be a normal, and that's that was the word that participants used. You know, I just wanna be a normal part of the community. Um, and that but that was so joyous. It was kind of like the mundane every day, like um, one person said they got the keys to the church for after church to open up a for a meeting. And they just were like astounded that the pastor would trust them with the keys because nobody else had done that before.
0: Wow, um, yeah.
1: And so just those kind of mundane things that I think a lot of people take for granted that can can speak a, wor- a volume of um, acceptance to LGBTQ plus people. Yeah,
3: there's this um, church in the southern part of West Virginia, um, and I don't know what, I I say flavor, I don't know what flavor church it is, (laughs) Um, but it's an inclusive church and almost entirely uh, the congregation is queer um, or um, relatives of queer people. And um, one of the things that's fascinating about this church to me is that they don't even maybe necessarily advertise that. Uh, it's certainly not a focal point of their congregation, but what they want to do is be in mission to their community, right? So like, there's all these other churches, particularly in West Virginia, that are like, let's have Bible studies and kind of examine the clobber passages or, um, you know, let's, uh, any number of things that would indicate uh, being affirming or whatever. Um, but this church is just like, yeah, that's a given so now we get to go do the Jesus service stuff, <laughs> and, uh, and, and I think there's got to be even kind of like the next level of freedom in that, right, where um, um, worshipers aren't objectified kind of even still in a way that's meant to be positive and affirming um, that, that that normalcy that you talk about is, is present.
1: Yes, absolutely. That was such a big theme for a lot of the participants. Um some of them, you know, they they one in particular, I remember who was actually from a rural community, said that they didn't want to have like rainbow flags everywhere. You know, they didn't want to talk about being queer every every service. You know, they actually wanted to dig into other parts of their spirituality or, or their religious beliefs. And um, they were so relieved that they found a church that could do that. Um, and that's so true. But it's just so tricky because some people really needed that. They needed that kind of obvious message. Um, but even, you know, that's tricky, too, because even people with obvious messages are still just sneaky trying to, you know, Bring in the clobber passages, or say, like, yeah, you can come and be present, but you can't lead anything because somehow you're less than. so there's just there's so many intersections in this, you know, yeah,
0: yeah I, I I love the nuance of all of that, right? that that it's not easy, right? that there's not there's not a blueprint <laughs> you know, that you can just fault you can just you know get out the checklist and and check things off as you you know, achieve the various. Um benchmarks or whatever it's because it's relational, right and and that's always messy and and it's and it's not easy um you know when you were i think I can't remember if you used the term exactly, but like an inclusive church or an affirming church, right so what what in your mind maybe or what from the research uh, would indicate what exactly is that cuz i think a lot of folks would talk about well i have a welcoming church or an affirming church mm-hmm. but that doesn't necessarily mean full integration into the life mm-hmm. of the faith community mm-hmm.
1: right yes um and uh, before i answer that i wanted to go back just maybe a tad <laughs> cuz there's yeah. so many other things in that uh that jenny brought up um with like p- people being asked to educate everybody else about being queer or trans, you know, and mm. like being like, oh, well, here's our here's our wonderful trans person and they're gonna tell us all about being trans and that person maybe doesn't wanna speak for the whole trans community yeah. or <laughs> maybe doesn't want to be the trans token in their community. Um, they just wanna be a member. Um, and so it does come at a cost. It, it does come at a cost for LGBTQ plus people um, to be in communities. And I think like you said, Joe, you know, it's it's relational. And that, I think, was one of the biggest parts of the research that became apparent that when people felt understood and connected with their church leadership um, or their church members, that they felt their needs could be met, whatever those needs were. Yeah. But let's see. So you were asking about – tell me your question again.
0: So it was was along the lines of like – how how do you define an inclusive community? What's the difference between like an affirming community and one that really helps folks get fully integrated into the life of the
1: community? Yes, that is a wonderful question and so important. Um, And in fact, I have another research article that's under review right now that's addressing that very thing. Um, And so essentially it's um, kind of, I wish there was a typology for this because it would be helpful to be like, okay, they are allowed to be present, but they're not allowed to be Sunday school teachers or they're not allowed to do this and that, and that would kind of help give us a a granular, uh, a gradient version of inclusive and and welcoming. But, um, you know, I think LGBTQ people kind of know this um, more on an intuitive level. Like, can I go and hold the hand of my partner And are, am I going to get weird looks? Um, Or can I, yeah, I mean, like all the things I've listed, you know, can I be in leadership? Can I, uh, or will I be excluded? You know, I I heard stories in my research about people that, you know, they went to a community, they were attending, they felt very welcome and open. But then when they wanted to be on a committee, it was, sorry, we can't let you do that. And it was devastating because here they had thought, hey, I'm just a member of the community. Um, and so I guess the answer is a bit more nuanced than just what is welcoming and what's what's not. Um, but I think it does have to do a lot with how how, how is a community um, excluding LGBTQ people from various aspects of membership mm-hmm. that at a basic level? Megan,
3: I'm gonna switch gears a little bit because I wanna hear about one of your other themes. Um, so the way that it, um, that I saw it phrased is, uh, what works for now versus heavenly bliss. And I suspect this gets at a theological point that I really have a sticking point about. So I'm totally curious to hear uh, what you found (laughs) along those lines.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That was one of my favorite themes. Um, And so what works for now versus heavenly bliss. So what works for now was people that like were searching. They were like, okay, I know I want something that's like this type of worship style. Or they're like, I want something that affirms my LGBTQ identity above all. And so they would be like, okay, well, I can't find everything that I want. Like, surely that doesn't exist. So let me find something, or a lot of times it came up with people of color in my research where it said, you know, I know I can't find a black community that's gonna accept my identity, my bisexual identity, for example, um, but at least I can find a black community that worships the way that I wanna worship. And so I'll just keep my, my queer identity under wraps. Um, And so that was kind of the what works for now version. Um, And so people kind of talked about how they navigated that in different ways. Um, And some of the other themes kind of represent that like, like I said, you know, maybe somebody really wants to be in a community that is part of um, their racial or ethnic background, and they really are okay with kind of staying in the closet. Um, versus Heavenly Bliss, which is all of the identities, all of the things that I'm looking for, all in one place. I don't have to compartmentalize. Um, there was a, Lat- a Latina woman in uh, in a larger metro area who found that she found a queer affirming, the, the theology work, she got to speak Spanish in her community. Um, and it was just like this heavenly bliss of all the things that she ever wanted all in one place. And those people who had found that, their level of joy was just at a new a next level than the people that kind of just like were coasting, I guess. Mm-hmm.
3: Mm. So the thing that I hear in that, I'm sure there are a number of things. But the thing that I hear in that is the pervasiveness of white supremacy in mainline at least well not mainline <laughs> white american churches um is going to make that heavenly bliss next to impossible to find right um i mean you talked about the compartmentalization and then the freedom um that comes with not having to compartmentalize. but there's so or or a white supremacy and patriarchy right i mean there's just so many kind of these pervasive systemic problems um that would would absolutely minimize the possibility of even it's like you almost have to stumble on that heavenly bliss situation.
1: Mm-hmm. It was very much a diamond in the rough kind of a thing, like people that had found the community that breaks through all of those things and kind of rises above. Um there were very few and far between, but uh, in this research it wasn't about the number of people that, you know, talked about something it was just it was the importance or the quality the quality of what they talked about. But I think you're absolutely right. It's, um, it's certainly an artifact of white supremacy and patriarchy and um, all the ways in which we um, make institutions work less well for certain groups on behalf of and work better for other groups.
0: You know, I've got to imagine too, that in that, you know, what works for now scenario Did you come across like continued embedded trauma, even in that Mm. um, in that population?
1: Mm. You know, I didn't really ask about that, but I can certainly see the potential for that. Yeah. Um, Just as you know, I'm thinking about a trans person who was going into a community and kind of like had to check themselves at the door. Like, okay, I'm going to go in and be ready for this. Um, But I get this other thing out of it. So, uh, yeah, certainly sources of trauma for sure.
0: Being, being in communities of folks who are experiencing deconstruction of some form, you know, um, it, it seems analogous, right? It's not exactly the same obvious experience, but, um, you know, a a number of clergy people, for instance, that are, you know, listeners to this podcast or, um, have, you know, been part of, um, the faith community that I'm part of that, um, meets online and tries to be inclusive, but that, you know, there's the, the clergy folks who go into their pulpits on Sunday morning and get up to preach a message for the people that in the back of their mind, they're saying, I'm not even sure I believe any of this shit myself. You know, and there, so there's that, you know, I, I don't, I'm not sure if trauma is the right word for that. I think on some level, maybe it probably is, but, um, but I can imagine in any situation where you're, you're compromising something in order to get something else. Like, does that, I guess my question in all of that is, does that rise up at some point, you know, um, and, you know, create a level of dissatisfaction that then you've got to figure out a way to resolve?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, yes, definitely. Um, my research didn't really go into that, but, um, I can see on the in the literature and in lived experience that, yeah, there becomes a point at which it's just too much. Um, And you just decide, all right, I'm going to cut it off. It's just not worth it anymore. It's not serving my interests. Um, And then you have to kind of start that cycle over again of healing and finding a new, a new way to get your spiritual needs met. um, Whether that is in a faith community or not. But I think we see that a lot in this kind of cyclical way where people kind of like think, okay, I'm going to do this for as long as I can stand it. Um, And then once I can't stand it anymore, I'm going to move on.
3: Yeah, this goes back to something that you said really early on um, about yourself is that need for community, right? Even if you're not so sure about all the faith trappings or um, needing anything explicitly theological or instructive. Um, one time, so I'm a pastor just wrapping up a pastorate at a local church. And um, say about six or seven years ago, a retired man came to my congregation and said, Look, my partner just died, and um, I, I don't even know what I think about Christianity. I just need people. I just need a community. I've been a caregiver for a long time. Like, are you okay with that? Are you okay with me being here, even though I'm not like, I mean, and he came to worship every week, right? He just needed a family. He needed a a congregation of people that he could trust, um, which he did find among us, which was wonderful. But I just think it's a really good word for Christians in particular, since that's my own context to to say, you know, <laughs> uh we're not going to have this laundry list of things that you have to assent to to be able to be here we're really happy for you just to fold into us and that we can love on each other and um, walk with each other through whatever is going on And, and i just think i mean obviously that's an explicit message to some kinds of churches right but even churches that wouldn't think that they have doctrinal things that people have to assent to say to belong um I think it's just a message to say, gosh, we just really, really need to be open to folks and whatever, whatever they need. Um, So, a little
2: personal story there. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I appreciate that, Jenny. And that um, really aligns with my own experience personally. Um, So, you know, I, I had moved away from organized religion, but I found that I missed all of the things that I got in being a group of like-minded people that met on a in a structured way. Um, and so I ended up joining a, well not joining, but attending a United Methodist Church out in Oklahoma, where I lived at the time. Um, And honestly, I I really went because I wanted to be in the choir. (laughs) I wanted to sing. (laughs) I missed singing with other people. (laughs) Um, And so it it was great. We were plugging along, you know, Christmas, that was fun. And then we got into Easter. And we got into like the more kind of high holy kind of songs. And I saw myself up there in front of a bunch of other people singing about stuff that I didn't believe. Um, and frankly, was a little triggering and I just couldn't do it. I couldn't do it anymore. I had to bow out because um, I, I, whether it was not wanting to be a hypocrite or not wanting to be misunderstood as something that I wasn't, or just honestly the triggering of, of trauma, um, you know, I, I just couldn't do it. And, um, luckily I was in that community long enough to gain some friends that I, I have still, um, but it did, it did mean that I, I couldn't benefit from the structure of that community, um. In the same way. And, you know, obviously, I guess it would be nice. If, I'm going to say this and maybe we will have to cut this out. I don't know. But um, it'd be nice if there was less Jesus in the church. Oh, we're definitely leaving that in. <laughs> okay. <laughs> But I mean, to be, I mean, seriously, like that, it was the thing. Like, I was like, man, this, there's too much Jesus going on here. I can't be around this, you know, <laughs> and um, that was kind of the end of it for me. And I couldn't be like, hey, church, stop talking about Jesus so much. So I just, um, I made, I made it, I'll you know, I did what I needed to do, but it would be nice if there was a kind of group or organization that. <laughs> didn't talk about Jesus so much, but still did all the other things. <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned the choir because
3: that the man that I mentioned actually joined the choir, right? Because um, it, it, it's that extra layer of structure, mm-hmm. right? It's not just showing up on Sunday morning because you want to be there and you want the structured way to meet with people. It's this extra level of commitment. Plus making music with people is such a phenomenal experience. So much positive energy there um, and kind of communal goal and making of um, purpose, right? There's meaning there. Um, but, but I have worked with a director of music ministry in a congregation, um, who is not Christian, grew up Christian and isn't right. And this is in a local Mm -hmm. church where we do all those high holy days. Right. And it's been so, um, it was fascinating in that situation to watch this person had so much meaning to our worship and not. Be a Christian, right? It was like beautiful. It was like, I think this is a benefit too of churches with liturgy. Like the liturgy could do that work or reading scripture could do that work, but then the music mm-hmm. didn't necessarily have to be explicit in order to elevate some sort of theme that we were talking about. And it wasn't always thematically based worship, but just sort of to, to make that beauty, to make this whole comprehensive message. And um, you know, this is a traditional congregation and then bringing in music from Indigo Girls, or you know, whoever that would that would add meaning um, on a different level for folks. So that was pretty fascinating. One one thing that meant is that we didn't do any blood hymns (laughs) in the church, right? We we weren't washing anyone any kind of blood, um, which you know isn't my theology either. But (laughs) um, but it was interesting. I mean, there were some places (laughs) where we came on hymns, and I was like, we really we really kind of need to do this one, but yes, we can stay away from those 10 <laughs> that are going to give us hives, Right. Um, but uh, yeah, I just think that that mm-hmm. music is such an aspect to that and a place where, um, to go back to your original point where there can be some beauty, but it doesn't have to be like Jesus getting shoved, you know, uh, all that sort of indoctrination stuff, getting shoved down your throat all the time.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that reminds me, I, I've often thought that, um, I, I want to go to a Christmas service somewhere where they play Dave Matthews Band's Christmas song because I, because I think that's the best nice. incarnational theology <laughs> I've ever heard put to music. But but that's a, <laughs> <laughs> that's another topic altogether. Um, unfortunately, we're starting to come to the end of our time here, Megan. I, this has been such a really fascinating conversation. Is there is there anything else that that you'd like to mention that we haven't gotten around to uh, in this conversation?
1: Um, I would just say that. Um, one of the biggest honors that I had in doing this work was putting voice, putting a microphone on the voices of the people that had experienced this. And there's way more people that experienced this than who I was able to research. And just kind of knowing that number one, you're not alone. Um, And number two, there are places that you can find that do give you that kind of community and that you can, it takes some searching, but if it's something that's important to you, then it's worth searching for and you can find it. Um, And you may be, you may find it in unexpected ways. Um, And I think that that was, that was a lot, the take-home message of a lot of my participants. Um, And so I just want to kind of elevate that to just, um, I, love you can find, I love that. You can find and, your and
0: people. The unexpected ways, I think, is kind of key. It, it, that does seem like the kind of thing that you can't contrive. You just have to almost fall into it or, or let it happen. Um, but you have to be open to letting it happen in order to recognize it when it comes around. I guess. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: yeah.
1: Definitely.
0: Well,
3: thanks so much, Megan. This has just been great. I know it's only scratched the surface of um, of your research, but thanks so much for taking time to um, to share of your own experience, which is emotional labor. I recognize that and, um, to be able to help us understand the good work that you've done.
1: Absolutely. I really appreciate you guys being interested in it and really appreciate the work that you guys do. Um, it's, it's important work and I'm very, very happy to be a part of it. So thank you for that.
0: Well, Well, so where, if if people want to read your research, um, where can folks find it? And, you know, if, is there a way to, if they need to, if they want to have a conversation with you or have a presentation or something like that, um, how, how can folks get in touch with you?
1: Yeah, I think the easiest way is just email me. Um, That'll be Megan, M-E-G-A-N dot G-A-N-D-Y, at mail.wvu.edu. And, I can share the research with you from there, or we can talk more and do whatever we need to do
0: from there. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for, for being our guest for this episode. It's been really, really fascinating. Um, I always know it's a good episode when I want to go on for another hour. Um, but, <laughs> but nobody, nobody has that long a commute <laughs> to, to listen to a two hour episode all at once. So um, thanks again, Megan. Uh, it's been so great having you here and uh, hopefully we can talk again soon.
1: Sounds great. Thanks so much.
0: So that's a wrap on this episode. I hope it's um, given you some some information that you can use. I hope that uh, this conversation about um, uh, LGBTQ plus folks and faith communities has been enlightening and informative, uh, and maybe will inspire you in some way in in whatever work you're doing in in your own community for um, for inclusion uh, and equity. If you have comments or feedback or suggestions uh, on this episode or for future episodes, please reach out to us. You can find us on social media. Just do a search for Accidental Tomatoes um, and drop us a note there, or you can send us an email to accidentaltomatoes at gmail.com. And so until next time, friends, keep on growing outside the fences and join us again for another brand new episode of the Accidental Tomatoes podcast.